MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 21st, 2020. Today, Steve Bannon is indicted for fraudulently raising money for the We Build the Wall project. Trump loses again in the Vance Mazars case. I ask a pro why Klein Smith is pleading guilty when he's not guilty. Prosecutors are looking to reinstate an indictment of Paul Manafort. The White House is shifting more budget authority to political appointees. Former Putin opposition candidate Alexei Navalny is in hospital after being poisoned by drinking tea. And more on the Democratic National Convention. I'm your host, A.G. Everyone, I am so happy to be with you. We have a very big show today. Joshua Geltzer will be here to discuss the Durham-Kleinsmith plea agreement. And, of course, we have the indictment of Bannon, and I'll talk to him about that. And a couple other things going on. That uh, there's, there's a new Polly Walnuts, Paul Manafort thing uh, that you're going to want to hear about, too. Uh, Amy Carrero will be joining me for Headlines from Under the Radar. And I'm excited to announce we will be joined by Katie Hill to discuss her new book, She Will Rise, Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality. And then, of course, we have the good news block with Jordan. Um, and just we just found out today, Postmaster General DeJoy is going to be testifying. You no, know, we found out earlier in the week. But today he's going to be testifying before the Senate and then Monday before the House. So we'll talk about that um, and during our next show, because it's happening probably as you're listening to this. And then Joe Biden is set to accept the nomination for president during the Democratic National Convention tonight, which he probably will already have done by the time you hear this. But it's cool. Uh, we are going to be on vacation next week, but we'll probably... You know me. You'll I'll, you'll get. I, first of all, there will be shows, but uh, they might not be as packed with news. But you know, you know me. I recorded. I think I recorded an emergency episode from the bathroom of an airplane uh, while we were in the air one time. So I'll probably give you some content. So don't worry about it. And then, of course, our live stream meet and greet is not today. It's not Friday at four. It's tomorrow, Saturday at eleven a.m. Pacific time for patrons. Noon. Uh, Pacific time for the public, and the theme is brunch. So I'm excited to have you there. Uh, but we have so much news to get to. So many amazing things happen today. I can't wait to tell you all about them. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. I'm going to be indicted. No, wait, it's going to be a indicted. Honey, dick. Indicted. Honey. I'm going to be indicted. Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted. That's right. We're bringing back the Fantasy Indictment League today, and we are joined by founding executive director of the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, and he's a visiting professor of law at Georgetown, as well as a senior editor at Just Security, Joshua Geltzer. Josh, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back. So, a lot going on today. This has been a day <laughs> that could fill a week, could fill a month. It's could, not even over yet. Could fill an administration, but I know it's only one o'clock here on the West Coast. There's still plenty of time. Uh, first, I wanted to ask you, let's get the Kleinsmith thing out of the way. This is the Kleinsmith charging document. Kleinsmith, as we know, is the FBI lawyer being charged for falsifying an email or whatever in the Carter Page FISA uh, thing, you know, put on, you know, Barr picked Durham to investigate the oranges of the Russia investigation. But 
there's a question about the materiality of his actions, at least to me. And in, when, when I was reading the charging document and found out he was pleading guilty, I couldn't understand why. So can you tell us what's going on and, and why he's agreeing to plead guilty? It, it does seem at least strange. So, you know, as a starting point, as a former Justice Department lawyer, I'm never going to excuse the errors and certainly errors that folks later come along and, and, and plead guilty to as, as crimes. And there's an origin to this that in a sense looks more normal. Horowitz, the, the DOJ inspector general, did find that the Klein Smith, this um, lawyer who was working uh, with the FBI's Russia investigation team, had inserted this language about a source um, uh, or, or not being a source, in particular not a source, uh, about Carter Page. He'd referred that, Horowitz had, for criminal investigation. So there are pieces here that begin to look normal, and then there are pieces that look less normal. The whole Durham investigation, uh, of which this is the only tangible fruit so far, itself seems strange. It's one thing to have a particular referral from the inspector general, but Barr gave Durham the task of investigating the investigators, of doing the Horowitz thing all over again. So that, I think, has put us all um, on guard as to, as to what exactly is, is sought here. And then there's the materiality point you raise, which is that this Justice Department had just, has just spent pages telling a federal judge why it thinks the lies Michael Flynn told to FBI investigators allegedly weren't sufficiently material for the same type of criminal charge. The materiality bar is usually considered pretty low, but somehow this Justice Department is arguing that, that Flynn's lies failed to meet it. Now, if that's the standard that the Barr Justice Department is going to apply, it's not clear why that standard is met in this case, uh, which then raises the question, as you say, of, well, why, why did he go ahead and, 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 and plead guilty to this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the timing is weird, and, and I, I question the materiality of this, because from my understanding, at least for the Inspector General Horowitz report, was that were this line that he added not included, the FISA would still have gone through, or at least there was no political motivation behind it. And that's that's really the key here. You know, Trump, Barr, others have taken what Horowitz found in in this respect, and now they've taken these the, the, this charge against Klein Smith and, and the guilty plea that he he submitted as something wildly broader than what it is. Indeed, as the opposite of what Horowitz found big picture. What Horowitz found big picture was there was not a political taint to the opening of the Russia investigation. There was not a political taint or, or any impropriety to conducting counterintelligence work in 2016 that, um, that, that had grounding in real concerns about the penetration of a U.S. presidential campaign by a, a foreign power. And uh, there's nothing in what Horowitz did, what Horowitz found, what Durham has found at least so far, thus far all it's really been is this, this charge against Kleinsmith, to, to, to suggest that anything went wrong in that sense in 2016. But it's being portrayed, really misportrayed by Trump, as vindicating his narrative that, that there was a witch hunt that began all the way in 2016 with his campaign and then continued in, in various forms thereafter. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've long said that if Durham had anything or if Barr found anything traipsing around the world trying to, you know, 
make the Russia investigation or like invalidate the Russia investigation, the 2016 Russia investigation, by the way, not the one that's going on right now, probably, um, that we would have heard about it by now. And apparently, I guess Durham briefed Barr today on his findings. We haven't heard anything. And it's weird that he briefed him. That doesn't make any sense. Um I mean, I guess it sort of does, but I honestly think we would have we would have heard something besides these pretty lame attempts at, uh, you know, framing the FBI and the entire intelligence community for, you know, opening an investigation without predicate. So there's even more that gives us reason to approach Durham's work with skepticism, with concern. We have Barr ordering an investigation of the investigators. We have him going back over ground that Horowitz already covered, but we also have him seemingly pushing Durham to make the statement he made in the middle of a criminal investigation Durham was overseeing, uh, criticizing, disagreeing with the final report Horowitz had issued. So strange. Strange because it's a prosecutor commenting on investigation that they're overseeing that isn't complete yet. Strange because it's a prosecutor disagreeing with the findings of his own department's inspector general. So all of that backdrop, and now the president pressuring publicly Barr to, to make something of Durham's work, that's not normal. That's not what law enforcement should look like. Yeah, no, agreed. And we'll just keep following this story. And uh, it's... It's long been weird. But next, if we want to talk about getting weirder, uh, Steve Bannon, former Trump campaign advisor, has been on a boat apparently at sea for 88 days. He's been indicted by the Southern District of New York for money laundering and mail fraud, a scheme uh, with a with thing he put together called, uh, not I don't know if he put it together, but he was on the board of We Build the Wall. And I guess they fraudulently raised money to build their own private wall between us and Mexico. But tell us about those charges and, and what kind of time he's facing. I, I think that each of those charges carries a 20-year max, right? I think that's right. These are these are serious crimes, and in, in a sense, after after all the the doom and gloom you and I have just conjured about the the Durham investigation and, and its origins, I think these charges uh, are in a sense a good news story. Not not good news insofar as you have four people defrauding donors, even if they're donors to a rather strange cause, in my view. But it's good news because it appears to be federal law enforcement doing their job and not doing the things that have happened in the Stone case and the Flynn case and coddling friends and uh, associates of Donald Trump, but quite the opposite. Here, you have instead um, what must have been a significant amount of work that was allowed to go forward investigating, as you say, um, raising quite a bit of money for this private wall building that, in fact, after guaranteeing donors that not a penny would go uh, into anything but wall building, was going to a boat and house renovation and cosmetic surgery. So it's in some ways just a, a classic um, uh, sketchy um, taking of people's money uh, under false pretenses. And yet because it involves Bannon and frankly because it involves inherently a political issue linked to the president, the idea of wall building, that was central to Donald Trump's political surge. It is to me gratifying to see that the Southern District of New York was able to proceed with this work that, perhaps in an irony given the national conversation at the moment, the U.S. Postal Service investigators were able to play <laughs> a key role in investigating this, and that it went forward despite um, what appears to be the politicization of 
federal law enforcement in other ways that that you and I have talked about. Yeah. How weird that the mob would want to, you know, damage the post office, especially since they can investigate money laundering, (laughs) mail fraud. But uh, and, you know, Trump said when asked, he was like, I don't know anything about it. Never heard of it. But there's actually evidence that just like video of him saying, you know, shaking their hand and saying, I support this. Um, this we build the wall thing. And a, quick, a couple quick questions for you about this indictment. First of all, this was investigated uh, by the Public Corruption Unit at the Southern District of New York. And that usually means there's elected officials involved. Would, say, Kobach, who was on the board, uh, former Secretary of State of Kansas, or um, Eric Prince, who was on the board, who was a former advisor to the campaign, or even Bannon just being an advisor to the campaign, would that qualify it to be investigated by the Public Corruptions Unit? I think it. I think it at least might. In other words, I was I was interested um, in, in in seeing that it came out of there as well. But I do think former officials um, could at least explain uh, why it's coming from that piece of of the Justice Department. Of course. The, the more interesting, maybe more dramatic notion would be that it involves some current officials and we just don't know about it yet. And I certainly can't foreclose that possibility. But it could be that the simpler explanation is the former officials whose names and involvement we do know are what led public integrity to, to work on this case. Well, yeah, we, we can always sit here and say, you know, Trump gave it his blessing and said he supports it. And that could be accessory after the fact. I don't know. But. Uh, anyway, and remember, it was it was it was Chris Kobach who represented publicly uh, and was very closely involved in this effort. It was Kobach who said that the president was quite aware of this. I did, I think, suggested the president was supportive of this. So um, in, in addition to, to, to uh, the Trump statements you referred to, you have Kobach representing that as somebody involved with with the effort. So mm. um there's there's some level of connection. That's not to suggest that there are necessarily <laughs> charges against Trump or a sitting official, but it is to suggest that this is not something from which Trump can suddenly distance himself. At least the, the build the wall effort, the criminality is is um, you know is, is something that I'm sure he will work to distance himself from as best he can. Yeah, and a, and a couple of things I just want to say about this. There is somebody in who who got indicted in this scheme named Timothy Shea, but this is not the Tim Shea that was the acting U.S. attorney at the D.C. Correct. U.S. Attorney's Office. Correct. Different Tim Shea. Although I, when I first saw that, I was like, "What?" And then I did a little research. Um, not that guy. But wondering, Eric Prince was not indicted. Does that mean he either did nothing wrong, or could there be? Because these these indictments actually have been unsealed. They were made earlier. Um, could could there be a, a sealed pending indictment uh, of other people involved in this scheme because they're being investigated for other stuff? Always possible. Could be could because of that. There could be cooperation going on. Uh, it, it, it is always wise when when we get a glimpse of something, especially as you say, something that we know was sealed, and so we are now getting a glimpse of to recognize the limits of of what we're able to see at this moment in time, and therefore the limits of our of our understanding of the full. Um, the the full scope of it. Ah, yes, uh, indeed. Now, finally, before I let you go, I've got a couple minutes left here. The Manhattan DA uh, is trying to reinstate a real estate fraud indictment against Polly Walnuts, Paul Manafort. How did we get 
here? Because uh, my understanding is this was sort of being reviewed by Southern District. Uh, judge told Southern District to shut it down or, you know, whatever. And now it was picked up by Cy Vance, Manhattan District Attorney. Is that the sort of path that this has taken? That's that's my understanding as well. And it does show that in addition to something like the Southern District of New York and, and the charges against Bannon today, which should be somewhat insulated from political whim, there's also something significantly more insulated from political whim of uh, at least the president and federal officials, which is um, prosecutors that are not federal, prosecutors, investigators who, who, who are state, county, city uh, in orientation. And so here you have, as you say, the Manhattan DA's office today trying to reinstate charges. And you know this, this comes down to, to some questions about what does and doesn't qualify for double jeopardy law. In this case, I think it's New York State double jeopardy law. In general, zooming way out here, the double jeopardy principle is meant to stop someone from being punished over and over again for the same um, the, the same activity. And 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 if the <laughs> but it's more complicated than that. You can hear me even beginning to hesitate because the law of double jeopardy is quite complicated. And often there, if there are charges with distinguishable elements, there are um, courts will will generally allow those to move forward. Now, I don't know much about New York State's double jeopardy law in particular, but the DA's office is at least making arguments now in, in court filings that, um, somewhat similar to what I said, when there, are, when there are different elements and when there are different mischiefs, so to speak, that those elements are designed to protect against, there isn't a double jeopardy problem with, with moving forward. So big picture, this shows that the work of state prosecutors when it comes to Manafort, but when it comes to others in the Trump orbit, it is not done. And of course, we know that, that Cy Vance has taken his Supreme Court win and tried to forge ahead on an expedited basis to finally get the materials uh, that he um, had subpoenaed. Um, the work of, of, of those outside of the federal law enforcement structure goes on. Mm, yeah. And Judge Marrero in, in the district court uh said no way again today to Trump's new bullshit arguments about why he shouldn't have to face a subpoena from the Manhattan DA federal grand jury, not federal, sorry, uh, grand jury subpoena for, for those documents. And I think last year uh, there was a bill that got passed and signed into law in New York that exempted real estate fraud and tax fraud and, you know, shit from dubious pardons from double jeopardy. They like they, they passed new law. So I, that's probably... Maybe why um, <laughs> they they passed that, but but it did happen, and I think it also had something to do with the Ways and Means um, uh, group. What you know, the House Ways and Means Committee was trying to subpoena Trump's tax returns uh, to review the uh, effectiveness of the presidential tax audit program, and then New York said they in part of that bill that I'm talking about with double jeopardy exemptions was uh, that. Um, they could they could hand over state taxes to the House, but they were never requested by by Richie Neal, House Ways and Means Committee chair. But anyway, neither here nor there. We could see indictments, state indictments. And uh, it's my yes. understanding that those yes. cannot be pardoned by the president. Not by the president. That's right. Governors have certain powers somewhat analogous to the, the, the president under, under various state laws. But um, state uh, state charges, state offenses, those cannot be pardoned uh, by the president. That's right. right. Well, it's it's still early today. We might see more indictments uh, after we hang up the phone here. But executive editor uh, at Just Security, Josh Geltzer, thanks for helping us parse these charges today. It's an incredible day. Thank you for the conversation. All right, everybody, we'll be back uh, with headlines from under the radar with Amy Carrero. So stay with us. After the- 
Hey everybody, this is AG, and I want to thank our sponsor CarShield for supporting Daily Beans. Nowadays, computer systems are essential in today's cars, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to tons and dozens of sensors. But you can't fix any of these features yourself. It's not like my Ford F-250 where I can just crawl in the hood with the engine and a wrench and like make things better. If something breaks, it can cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. Personally, I hate dealing with car tech stuff. I'm better at the mechanical stuff. And last time I messed with my GP, I got Samuel Jackson's voice, and now all my directions are extremely cool, yet very hostile. But seriously, computer car repairs can cost a fortune, and the repairs can take forever. And that's why I have CarShield. What I love most about their service is they have monthly plans that are customized for you. And the people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is a must during these times. They have affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repairs on stuff like computers and GPS systems and electronics. And there's no long-term contracts or commitments. And you get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield will take care of the rest. And they offer 24-7 roadside assistance and rental car assistance while yours is in the shop. CarShield has helped over a million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you can get coverage from America's number one auto protection company for as low as $99 a month. And with that, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repairs. So call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's it's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is Friday, and that means Amy Carrero is here. Hey, Amy, how are you? Oh, hey. Oh, hey. I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's my anniversary today, four years, and I did have a glass of wine, so this should be fun. Excellent. All right. I'm taking a note. <laughs> glass of wine. All right. Wonderful. <laughs> Edit her out of this episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is my favorite episode this week. I have you. I have Josh Geltzer. I've got Katie Hill. It's and Jordan is, is the good news block. This is a this is like a monumental episode and so much stuff has happened. You really today. You did it. Yes. And you and I are going to talk about the White House Budget Office, and we're going to talk about uh, Alexei Navalny, uh, which is a very important and yet very monstrous and scary story. And then, of course, I want to talk to you about the convention and your thoughts on that, and we'll get to that in a minute. I am loving it, but we'll talk about that shortly. So, great. Headline number one, the White House Budget Office has quietly shifted policies to give more power to political appointees in how billions of dollars a year are doled out. This is a move that's likely to further diminish the influence of career professional officials in the Trump administration. Under a recent change made by OMB, that's the Office of Management and Budget, senior political appointees must now give their signature on any actions to disperse, limit, or halt the flow of congressionally appropriated funds. High-ranking career officials have traditionally held that authority, which is now... Uh, or this authority is known as apportionment, and is it's governed by the Empowerment Control Act. And the administration has used this sort of apportionment thing. They've abused it, and they, you know, to control everything from the release of foreign aid to the dis- di- distribution of federal disaster relief. That's kind of how it goes. Adding a new layer of bureaucratic political approval to the appointment process is going to piss Democrats off. They've already raised concerns about the Trump administration cutting career staff out of budget decisions in order to advance Trump's political agenda. Quote, this is a deliberate and disturbing step by the Trump administration to consolidate power among political cronies, undermine Congress, and silence anyone who might stand in their way. And that's from House Budget Chair John Yarmuth. 
um, who's already introduced a bill that would require OMB to make apportionments public while publishing who's in charge mm. of the decisions. Because, this, you know, the Trump un- the Trump came under fire and un- intense scrutiny last year called impeachment <laughs> scrutiny when Michael Duffy, a political appointee in charge of the hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to Ukraine, yeah. uh, sort of made that whole decision. And the GAO said, no, that's illegal, mm. bro. And that was the administration's decision to freeze that aid last summer. Um, they took it out of the hands of a political, or uh, excuse me, a, um, a frontline official and put it in the hands of a political appointee. I mean, it's just so dirty. It is. And they ruled it yeah. illegal. And, and, and yet the Senate didn't vote to convict. And here we are, 175,000 people dead. Cool, <sighs> Senate. Thanks. Cool. This is going to go down real good in the history books. This is just, I mean, I don't know how anybody at this point can look at news like this and not think that we are living, uh, that our democracy is, is, is really at risk here. Because what he's doing is essentially creating like a weird oligarchy, right? It's like out of the Putin playbook, which is like, let me get give my friends the, the power to release congressionally appropriated funds. That is insane, you know, and it totally diminishes mm-hmm. the, the uh, Congress's that, – that's one of their, um, you know, w- one of their constitutionally protected actions, and, and ugh, it's just ridiculous, the whole thing. Yes, and to, to, to halt aid to Ukraine, mm-hmm. for example um, – that's why it violates – it doesn't just violate the Constitution. It violates the Empowerment Control Act because Congress is supposed to have control of the right. purse. And you can't just it, – it, because here's – like imagine if um, back in 2010 we had a Republican Congress and they pass a thing that says everybody gets free right. guns. And then the um, the president goes, mm, I don't like that. So they halt the money yeah. approved by Congress right. – to send a gun to every American. That's illegal. I mean, it just fucks with, with the checks and balances, which is why we have the government setup we have. And this is just like a really slick way because most people aren't paying attention to this. They're paying attention to the coronavirus. They're, you know, they're they're trying to pay their bills. They're not, you know, this isn't something that it's going to, the headline is going to catch anybody's eyes, especially if they are dealing with the mess that the Trump administration has already allowed. So this is the way in which these, you know, people, these men consolidate power. And it's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. They're taking the power out of the hands of frontline professionals, putting it into the hands of political appointees. Mm-hmm. And this is after we know that Trump went around and did a sweep of political appointees yep. and purged everyone who was a non-loyalist. Insane. And this is, a, just like you said, a consolidation of power. It's right out of Putin's playbook. He probably, this is the last, probably the call, I mean, I'm sure that one of the many, many calls that Putin calls that he's had <laughs> with, calls. Uh, Putin <laughs> have been... <laughs> have been about have been about this yeah and so here we are it's just disgusting uh, speaking of putin yeah. Oh, yeah this is so disturbing this shit is so disturbing have you have yes. you seen videos or heard i've heard audio i have oh god it's just the most disturbing yeah. thing i've heard in a long time Mm-hmm. And this is uh, we're talking about Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny. He is unconscious in hospital, suffering from suspected poisoning. This is according to a spokeswoman. The anti-corruption campaigner fell ill during a flight and the plane made an emergency landing in Omsk where doctors said he was in a coma and they were trying to save his life. 
His team suspects something was put in his tea at an airport cafe. The Kremlin said that wished Mr. Navalny a speedy recovery. Mr. Navalny, who's 44, has for years been among President Vladimir Putin's staunchest critics. In June, he described a vote on constitutional reforms as a coup and a violation of the Constitution. And the reforms allow Mr. Putin to serve an additional two Ugh. terms in office after the four terms he's already right, served. Right. This is just, come on, guys, open your eyes. This is the future in a Trump presidency. This is just so horrific. And And listening to this poor man, like... His his like agony while he's you know dealing with whatever whatever it is if it was poison or clearly he's not well and I heard today on NPR that um, his doctors in Omsk I think before they transfer him to Germ I think they might be transferring him to Germany that he's on a ventilator but that he's stable but I'm like how is someone stable that needs a ventilator it's just ugh, it's awful mm, it it is and this to me um. I've done a little research on on this because I was immediately I immediately thought of Litvinenko right. who was poisoned um the UK. by tea with polonium wow. by Putin. And uh but and I was like this sounds like that but uh, polonium actually takes weeks and months oh. uh to to kill you or to hurt you. What seemed to happen here um it was seemed like more like what happened with the Skripals in like you just said in in Oh, in the in UK. The oh, UK. I was getting them confused. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it was where it was super fast acting, which was Novichok, right? That's a, a different poisoning agent. Uh, we may learn that it's something else, but there are police all around, and I I hope they get him to hospital in a different country yeah. so that he can actually get the care that he needs, and that he that it can actually be reported what he was poisoned with. Yeah. Um, but that it gives me the chills that the Kremlin said they wished him a speedy recovery. That gives me the fucking chills. Uh, I mean, you, it's just this, it's fucking gross, man. This is like, again, we're like in some sort of weird movie that like a student writer wrote as like a thesis project. And we're like, I think the villain's a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We've talked, you and I talk about this all the time. It's like, you would never read this in a script. It is, it's too. Yeah, no, you'd never buy this script. Yeah, it's just too on yeah. the nose, and um, it's because here's, I mean, in Russia, if 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 Putin needs to clean up, um, it's either going to be right. uh, some some type of radiation poisoning, or it's going to be yeah. a, a trip out of fourth floor window, and and we've seen this happen so right. so many times, particularly to journalists, yeah. opposition figures, um, dis- dissidents, uh, and. It's it's very sad and very scary and oh and only forty four. I mean, he's so young. I, I really hope that he pulls through and that we find out exactly what it is that happened to him because you know I think this is how think stories get sort of they sort of get buried or they die where it's like well we don't know I mean if he doesn't make it out of I think he's is he in Siberia if he doesn't make it out then it's like we may never know you know if he doesn't live to be transferred somewhere else Mm -hmm. who knows if we'll ever know the truth it's like how Magnitsky and even if we know the truth they'll still yeah they'll even if we know the truth they'll still fucking you know right and then Trump will say like I don't know he said they didn't do it Mm. Yeah, no, he said, I talked to him, he very strongly denied it. Uh, it was very strong. 
He was very strong. <laughs> I've read uh, yeah. that he denied it. And said, hey, it's their country. You know, he'll, he'll just, he, he, oh, yeah. he can't well, we even. We do bad stuff too, by the way. <laughs> he can't, yeah. yeah. We, we poison people all the time here in America. So, uh, uh. <laughs> um, we're killers. We're killers. We interfere in elections. Everything's okay. Oh. It's disgusting it's so disgusting vote everyone please vote don't be like oh well it's what it's what president obama said don't let them take away your power Mm -mm. they will try to convince you yes they will try to convince you your vote doesn't matter yeah and and oh god i i know that we still you know we're like heading into talking about the the dnc but you know i thought that was one of the most powerful speeches i've ever heard obama make and 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 it was just so grave you know yes and and that's i do want to discuss the convention with you and and that obama speech you're right normally his speeches are lofty hope uh, full of hope full of vision this was a warning a dire warning that our democracy may not survive if you don't vote and just like you said amy they want to you know they want to take your power away by trying to take your vote away they will try to convince you that your vote doesn't matter if you if somebody says your vote doesn't matter anyway because of the way that the system is set up that is a russian op that is a russian talking point yep don't buy it if they if your if your vote didn't matter they wouldn't spend millions and millions of dollars to try to keep you from voting absolutely and 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 you know this is going to get me into so much shit on twitter because god forbid i even retweet something about voting for biden and people just pounce on me but like i consider myself a progressive but i also understand that if we want progressive people in in national on the national stage we have to elect them locally and people are not showing up to local elections you know and so and whenever i talk to people especially with you know the young younger people younger millennials and gen z i'm like well what are you doing to elect progressive candidates at your local level because if they're not they have to come from somewhere you know what i mean like aoc would not be aoc if her community hadn't propped her up Mm -hmm. you know and voted for her and so it's just endlessly frustrating because you know there is a group of people and I'm hoping and my theory and and you know we're living in you know uh, the time of conspiracy theory so I'm not trying to add another one but you know in 2016 and 2015 we dealt with a lot of like MAGA trolls you know a lot of the you know which later we found out were just Russian attempts to influence uh, mm-hmm. us and our electorate. And I wonder if if the same thing is happening on the far left. It is. Because I am getting into weird Twitter fights with people that just, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, do you even live here? Like when people say like Joe Biden, you know, there there's just no way to tell. Like, you know, he doesn't have enough, you know, it's like how, how do we know what he's going to do? And I'm like, um, because he was vice president for eight years. Like it's just... I feel like a lot of people are missing the forest for the trees, and I'm hoping that they're just bots. I'm, I really hope they are, but I am concerned. They are. They are. But they have, but they have, they have influence, and there are Americans who are influenced by these campaigns. Uh, we know for a fact that Russia infiltrated the Bernie campaign and his base and his group and was trying to push, you know, uh, to your vote doesn't matter. Joe Biden sucks. Um, he's a rapist. Mm-hmm. Kamala's a cop. That's a Russian op. Uh, and, and all of these things. Yeah. 
Uh, she the, even the birther stuff, which is coming from the far right. Uh, but it's all yeah. this is all being pushed by Russia. And, and that is why our Congress, especially Mark Warner, wants to get this information out to the public so you can see what it looks like. But it's also yeah. all outlined in the Mueller report. They did the same thing on the far left. They would infiltrate mm. Black Lives yeah. Matter uh, and, and then get in there and make friends and then turn and start telling you that your vote doesn't matter and Biden doesn't like you and yeah. uh, all this other stuff. God, And we keep fucking falling for it. It's just incredible well we aren't used to it right like ukraine is like ukraine looks at us like can you not fucking see what's happening to you this happens to us (laughs) every year and you can't see what's happening to you uh we just aren't used to it and we need a better we need uh, hopefully in in the next uh, administration if we vote uh we will have some sort of a commission or some sort of a you know, PSA about what election interference looks like. But um, yeah, we'll find out, you know, we'll find out if 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 Twitter is the barometer for turnout. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I hope not. I don't think so. No. But, you know, I I who knows? But I think we will we'll definitely find out. And by the time we find out, it might be too late. You know, I don't know. But we'll see. Um, I'm just hoping that that people can find a way to through this. You know, if, if Joe Biden is not progressive enough for you, I understand he's not progressive enough for me, but who it's like AOC said, who would you rather want, keep accountable, Joe Biden or Trump? Mm-hmm. And we are progressing. I mean, he's not he's not progressive enough for yeah. you, but he is the most progressive Democratic candidate for president in the history of Democratic candidates for president. And he's moved to the left. Yep, he has. Absolutely. He's moved to the left, you know, and I think he listens. And anyway, this has gone off on a tangent, but it's definitely something that I'm seeing a lot of online. And it's just... It's really, it's really kind of like demoralizing. But I, I do hope, and I think that most people um, will kind of understand that, you know, we're we can have a revolution, but the revolution starts from the ground up. If we don't elect these people when they're in their, you know, in their local races, then they're never going to get up there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're never going to have those people mm-hmm. run for president because they won't have the experience. And millennials and Gen Z show us that show us that you show up because the last in the last election, 12 yeah. percent of eligible voters in that age block voted. Um, and Crazy. and yeah. so, you know, but yeah, Amy, here's my advice. Those are bots. If they're pushing a bad message about Joe okay, Biden good. or that yeah. your vote doesn't matter, they're bots or trolls or useful idiots that have flipped. Um, and, and, and just, yeah. just report them and block them. Don't let them get you down. Um, yeah. you know, and, and by the way, speaking of that, I want to talk to you about things that are very, very uplifting because while Obama's speech during the convention last night was a dire warning, I am absolutely yes. loving the format of this democratic national convention. And I, me too. I, it's, a, it's incredible and inspiring and amazing. I almost like it better because you I get do. to go see other places, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And we had Dr. Jill Biden. Uh, Dr. Jill Biden last night. She is fucking awesome. And Elizabeth so Warren great. was incredible. And she gave her speech. Oh, yeah, that really that uh, that one that one was like I was like crying when I <laughs> I was like my girl. Uh, but you know what I love about Elizabeth Warren and why I thought she was make would make such a great president is because she's always leading, she's always teaching, she never misses an opportunity to do the right thing and show up. Mm-hmm. And that was really evident in her speech. And I'm I'm just you know so so proud to have been able to canvas for her and will continue to in the future. Yes, yes. But we got to talk about Kamala's speech, her acceptance speech. Um, 
one of the best speeches I've seen so far. And I really have to hand it to Obama because Obama can fucking blow you Mm -hmm. away with his speech. But he kept it. He kept it a little low key, a little warning, um, a little bit of hope. But he did not. He did not upstage Kamala, and that was her night, and she fucking shined. And yeah, and I heard, I heard that he switched with her. Right, he was supposed to close the night, and mm-hmm. then he, and then there, you know, they shifted because, and rightfully so, which I thought was such a great move. Mm-hmm. He said, "No, no, this is your night, and uh, yeah. you're gonna close the show." And and I loved the, <laughs> I loved the intro. You know, with her stepdaughters who call her Mamala and her sister. Mamala. And she talked about family. I loved how she she said, family is what you make it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she gave her her college a shout out. She gave her sorority a shout out. And I thought that was, and I was like looking on, because I didn't know what the Divine Nine was, you know? So I was like looking on Twitter and there were so many like, you know, so many sorority sisters or, or just people that went to Howard, they're like, oh, my God, like how weird to hear a vice presidential nominee like say these words, you know, which I thought was such a cool moment. And and I, what I liked, what I really liked about her speech is that she I think that she she is like really finding her pocket, you know, I mean, she's never really been anyone that you think she's like putting on a face or or anything like that she always comes off at least to me as incredibly genuine and i think that with her we get um she's almost like a surgeon you know with her rhetoric and with with the way that she communicates and i really love that we have that um that we have her in in addition to joe biden because joe brings uh so much you know feeling and heart and sort empathy. of like good vibes and she yeah, and empathy and i think she has those things too but i think what she she's like the muscle you know what i mean she's the closer and um i think that's what the ticket needed it needed someone that um that people could be like okay you know Joe Biden is here to uplift us. He's here to pull us together. Kamala Harris, I don't think, would bat an eye before, uh, you know, having to make really tough decisions and help him make tough decisions. Yeah. And she's the prosecutor. She is justice. And and when she uh, and you can hear it in her speeches, the first the first time she the first night she spoke, she's like, I you know, this is the case against Trump is open and shut. I'll never forget how I felt when I when I stood in the courtroom and said Kamala Harris for the people. She brought she um, brought that up again. I know. I love that. Um, I love that. Gives me chills. So good. Or when she was like, I was born in Oakland, California. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But but when she said uh, at Kaiser. Right. And then she said, I've gone after rapists and I've gone after. And then she and then she said, I know a predator when I see one. And yeah, and really and then she had this pregnant pause and I was like yelling like in my house by myself like, yes. And (laughs) and it's just absolutely it it was such a great speech. But you're right. She Joe is the empathy and she is they're good cop, bad cop. You know, she she's the I mean, I don't need to bring the word cop into it, but she's the she's justice. (laughs) She's fucking justice. Yeah. And I love it. And I'm here for it. And she just railed on Trump and she did it in such a beautiful, subtle way. Yeah. It's like any good relationship, you know, there's always one person that that sort of like 
you know you just can't fuck with. You know what I mean? Like there's one partner who's like super sparkly and and kind of, you know, like really, you know, kind of easy. And then there's, you know, the one that's like you, you're not getting through this. Like if you try to fuck with this person, like I, I, I have your number. And I feel like that's the vibe that I get from her. And, and it's necessary. You know, we need that balance because so much of what we have had in the last four years is like, you know, no one's home. There's no, there are no parents at home. Just a bunch of like, you know, drunk babies or whatever who found the key to the liquor cabinet. I don't know. But, but I think at least for me, I, it gives me a sense of relief to know that, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that, you know, when she was talking about her mom and like all of that, I was like, how is she not like just, ba- like just bawling right now? Like if I, you know, knock on wood my parents will be around for forever right but if I was having that moment like you know look at where I am mom like I'm so sad you're not here to see this like I would just break down in tears and she's a tough fucking bitch you know what I mean she's Mm -hmm. so tough and I and I think it's it's so necessary and I hope that um that that she's not getting external pressure to be anything but that I don't think she is but I, I hope we don't you know, I, I hope that's not the direction that 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 people start telling her to go in because I think if she leans on her toughness and her strength, um, because that's who she is, I think people will will really respond to that. So mm-hmm. I'm super hopeful. I am too, and and I, 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 you know, you're right. It's a perfect tick. We've got somebody with empathy, and then we have somebody who's got your fucking back. And uh, I, I yeah. absolutely love this team. And, you know, for, for Joe to put to say she's going to be the last person in the room when I make tough decisions. And that's what Obama said about oh, Joe. It's that. just like it's this whole yeah. passing it along. And I, it's just it's just a great, a great convention and yeah. a great ticket. And I'm very excited. I'm hopeful for the first time in, in years. And um, yeah. I, and I have to say, I'm looking forward to, to tonight as well. And I think Joe Biden... Um, Me too. He's going to accept the the nomination. He's going to give his acceptance speech tonight, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I hope everybody uh, enjoys it. By the time you hear this, you, you'll probably have already seen it, but I'm looking forward to it as well. So. Me too, and and I think they've done such a good job in showing him. You know, like when I was, I mean, I've I've I. I knew that Joe Biden had this seller reputation among his peers, but I didn't know little things like he would give people his personal number, Mm -hmm. you know, or he would talk to uh, mourning parents or grieving family members because he's had so much, you know, tragedy in his life. And it's little things like that. I mean, I didn't know any of that stuff. So I I, I think they're doing a good job showing the humanity as opposed to what we're going to see next week, which is just, I, I mean, the fact that like we have, last night that little girl I wish I could remember her name where her she was separated from her mother because her mother was undocumented um and it was so moving right and and so we're the DNC is focused on showcasing real stories about people um that inspire hope meanwhile the RNC is like has the couple that like pointed guns at Black Lives Matter protesters like I'm like really like it's just so stark the two messages couldn't be clearer you know um so so I, I hope that people people see that. Yeah, and I, and I think that they will. And uh, you know, just remember, everybody vote, vote in numbers too big to manipulate. 
make sure you're registered, have a plan to vote, vote early, and and help have a plan to help your family members vote. So anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Amy, yes. Amy, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This was fun. Yes, we'll be on vacation next week, but I'll see you in two weeks. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. Mm, it's going to be fun. Um, and I'd be super jealous. <laughs> I'm really excited about taking a week off. I haven't done it in years. So. Oh, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I know. Rest. I've uh, got to gear up for the for the last 65 days to the election when I get back. So i uh, got to carry it the rest of the way. But anybody will be... Uh, anybody. I can't. I'm so excited about... <laughs> I'm so excited about our next guest. I can't even talk right. We will be right back with Rep. Katie Hill. She's California Rep forced to resign for a relationship with a campaign staffer because of misogyny and double standards. And she's going to discuss her new book, She Will Rise, Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon. When I was a kid, my favorite food was cereal. It still is today, but I can't eat it today because of all the sugar and carbs and chemicals and everything. But I used to love just plopping myself down in front of Saturday morning cartoons, eating my cereal, drinking the milk, you know, all the flavored milk, like especially if you had the chocolate milk, because it was delicious. And now I can do it again because I found Magic Spoon. It is a cereal that tastes so delicious, you will not believe it's made without all the sugar, carbs, or guilt. Magic Spoon brings me right back to that feeling of being a kid. It is so good, you will not believe it's healthy. I, I, absolutely, I can't say enough good things about this. I love it so much. As Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. And I agree. Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs in each serving it is keto friendly gluten-free grain-free soy free low carb high protein and gmo free and the best part is it's so delicious uh, with four amazing flavors cocoa fruity frosted and blueberry magic spoon tastes incredible uh, it's too good to be true but it's not it's actually real my favorite is cocoa because like i told you i like to drink that chocolate milk it's delicious and chocolatey and it's nutritious and right after this podcast i'll probably go have a bowl and watch some smurfs so Go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, even after you eat it all, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use co- uh, promo code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Today, as one of the Democratic Party's rising stars, Katie Hill successfully flipped a red California district blue. But she resigned from her position less than a year after entering Congress following political sabotage by her abusive ex-husband in a scandal that began a national conversation around questions of bisexuality, domestic abuse, cyber exploitation, workplace power dynamics, and what happens when regular people who live regular lives run for office. And joining us today to discuss her new book called She Will Rise, Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality is Katie Hill. Katie, thanks for speaking with us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, First, I want to tell you, we have been avid supporters of your campaign. We knock doors for you, and we are also supportive of you know, your ongoing battle against the patriarchy and politics. So it is an honor to speak to you today. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the support and for, you know, uh, continued, <laughs> continued support, really. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't, we can't stop, you, you know, and, and, and that's sort of evident in your story and what happened to you. And I'd like for you to tell us about how your personal experience led you into battle um, against the misogyny and double standards in Congress. Yeah, well, 
you know, I, I was always, of course, a, a huge champion for women's rights and for equality in general. Um, but it, it came to head in a different way when, uh, when, you know, my personal life came out, uh, very publicly and, and was used by not only my ex-husband, but by the right wing media and by my political enemies back in the district, uh, to take me down. And, um, what I, you know, I'm a sexual assault survivor. Uh, I had been in this relationship, this abusive relationship for literally my entire adult life. I'd met, I'd met my, my soon to be ex-husband, uh, when I was 16 years old and he was, he was significantly older than me. Um, and so I was, you know, but, but like many survivors, you don't, you often don't recognize exactly what's going on in that moment. And you, you certainly, it's harder to get out than people might realize. So, I had tried to leave before and I was, uh, unfortunately my, at that point, this was before the end of the campaign. My husband said that if you, if you leave, I will ruin you. And I said, um, you know, I decided that I couldn't do it then. And finally, after enough time in Congress, I, I, you know, couldn't couldn't do it anymore. And, um, I decided to file for a divorce, but, uh, after, a few months after I left, he, the, that's when the photos came out. And, um, we, that was, you know, that was like one of the worst moments. That was what I thought would be the worst moment of my life. Um, and then I had a personal tragedy within my family later that turned out to be the worst moment of my life. But, um, but I knew that my, my fight couldn't be done, that there were too many people like you all who, uh, had worked hard for me, who supported me, who, um, who were in the fight with me and who I, I felt like an, a tremendous debt to, and to that I, that I, I wanted to show that it wasn't for nothing, that it, that it still meant something. And so I've since kind of turned my, my focus to helping other women, uh, both in, you know, to get into positions of power, but also to, uh, to recognize, you know, the ways that they are already in the struggle and how we can direct our energy to be, to create change. Uh, that is, it is so hard to, I mean, you're a sexual assault survivor. I am also a sexual assault survivor and I'm a domestic violence survivor. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, you, you, I, I can see exactly where you're coming from because then you, you rise up, you get to Congress and then you're betrayed there by your colleagues as well. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, and then you said you have this personal tragedy and it just seems to pile on. And and you're right. You just don't recognize it as it's happening. It's like the you know the whole boiled frog, yeah, um, uh, thing. Especially with malignant narcissists who are crafty mm-hmm. at, at what Very. they do. Yeah. And so to be a, a survivor there, and then to m- make headway, and then to have you know to feel that betrayal again, I, I am so. Um, just inspired by your ability to to not just continue on not just pick up and you know keep waking up every day and breathing but to but to thrive in the face of of these kinds of setbacks and is that kind of is that sort of what inspired you to tell your story is 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 it you know i'm 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 not gonna take this line down but also to inspire others, right? That's exactly it. And I, you know, I know that my story, it happened on the national stage. It happened in a much more public and broad reaching way than I think most people's stories. But, uh, but my, I'm just an example. I'm, you know, I like, 
you said, you've been through the same things. Most, most women have at least one have gone through either domestic violence or sexual assault or workplace harassment, or, you know, one of the things that directly impacts women, um, that men, that men don't have to go through. And that, you know, it, it indicates the misogynistic systems that are so deeply ingrained into our society. Um, so, you know, when I, when I left Congress, I, I knew I had to be defiant. I knew that I need in order to kind of be able to move forward. That was really important to me was to, was to stand up and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this, you know, cr- silence me because I felt that, that, that more than anything was what they were trying to do. Um, you know, I can, I'm, I might have to leave and I, I own my own responsibility around, um, you know, the, the fact that I had this, this inappropriate relationship and, and on and on. But I also know that this is a, this is a much, um, more widespread problem around, uh, silencing strong women. And, and so I said, I'm not going to be silenced. And I wanted that to be, a a source of hopefully inspiration and mobilization for other women too. Yeah, and I can tell you it is um I can I can promise you it is. For me, um you know, having read your book because I think for me one of the most cathartic things is if I if I read a story and I can relate to it and and it's something that's happened to me, then it's almost as though I'm vindicated by those who gaslit me into thinking mm-hmm. that I was insane for for feeling like I I was being abused or oppressed or you know anything like that and so yeah I you know I can definitely I can guarantee you that that you that you are reaching people I am inspired um, by your story and it is indicative of the larger systemic issues that we face in this country surrounding this kind of you know misogyny the blaming of of survivors and so I'm so grateful that you wrote this book thank you I appreciate that yeah um the one of the chapters that was most important to me uh, was the one specifically around domestic violence and coercive control. Because if I had been able to recognize those those patterns earlier, you know, I think about that a lot of how how different would my life have looked um, if I if I knew what was going on. And you talk about the gaslighting. I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah, and and and. and... It's it's reading your story that helps me to believe that it wasn't because of me that I ended up in that situation. It was because of bad people who were keeping me there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because survivors of of any of these things, we have such a tendency to to blame ourselves. And, you know, we talk about victim blaming, but it's, it, it's often our own, um, you know, well before we ever tell anybody, before someone else has a chance to victim blame us, we, we do it to ourselves. So that's a, that's a habit that um, you know, comes from the way that we've been raised and from the way that, that, you know, we see these things happening to other people. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember even if I've had to sort of check my, myself, I mean, obviously I'm long past this point, but growing up when you, when you heard about rape or, or something like that, you were like, well, she, she brought that on herself, you know, and that's a, that's a reaction that women have so often. So, um, and when you're, when you're on the other side of it, you, you kind of think, well, I'm, I, what did I do? I must've, I must've deserved this. I must've, you know, yeah, brought, brought this on myself. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so incredible that you mentioned that because that victim blaming, because uh, for, you know, me personally, I was sure it was my fault. And I was so sure that when my best friend was sexually assaulted, 
I said to her, well, you shouldn't have put yourself in that situation. What right. were you thinking? I was victim blaming my best friend. It's going to be like the, my biggest regret of my life and I've worked through it. But, And I think that that's why it's important that if we hear other women saying those things, we should probably reach out to them and talk to them. They also may be survivors themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. And I, I feel you completely about how we've, you know, how how we've perpetuated that and how it has to be a such a intentional effort and we need to recognize it in ourselves. We need to um, teach the next generation of women. And I, and I think we are, I think we're seeing the changes, but it takes a while for it all to, you know, to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Now tell us, um, talking about, you know, rising up, uh, her time, tell us about her time. Yeah. So her time is the the PAC, the political action committee that I started. Um, when you leave from Congress or, uh, you know, whether you retire, you lose an election, you resign, anything like that, you have an option to either leave your campaign funds, whatever you've got left in your account. Um, you can leave it in there. You can just kind of slowly dole it out. Uh, you can, you know, to, to other races, et cetera, or you can do what I did and convert it to a PAC. Um, when I did that, you know, I, or I chose to do that because I had already raised a lot of money for my reelection. I was, I was a very successful fundraiser in Congress and before. And, um, I, I felt like it was really important to me to, to use that money, um, effectively. And so we turned it into this pack called Her Time that was intended to, uh, to help women, especially young women and women of color to, um, to get into these positions of power, to move into, um, to leadership roles. And it started off as, as, specifically around congressional races, but we've actually expanded down the ballot further, knowing that, you know, it, sometimes you're going to have to even go, uh, the, the, it, you can't always start at, at the top if you want to get the diversity and, and young people who are, um, who are really going to change, change the face of power in our country. So we do that. We support candidates directly. We try to get in early and, um, uh, you know, take risks on candidates that might might not otherwise get the support, but who we know should be there should are ones that we want in uh, in our leadership roles. Um, and then the other thing that we do, there are two others. One is we uh, we advocate for the issues that we um, that you know I talk about in the book in terms of the policies that will create the changes that uh, bring us to true equality. And the last thing is that we are looking to to do the research and figure out what it takes to mobilize young women as a voting block because I think that. You know, we aren't we aren't necessarily considered a, a voting block as like the 18 to 40 year old group. But I think that we can. And I think, you know, specifically, we should we should be the voting block that's counted on to uh, in every election, not just presidential ones, um, but to vote for women and to show up at every single election and consistently um, consistently be that the the force that that drives change. Hmm. And what's. So what's next for you? Is the what we like? Where where do you see yourself going from here? Well, I'm really excited about the work with her time. I think that um, you know it's a brand new organization, so building it up is something that um, I'm excited about. I came from a, a nonprofit organization background, so it's a it's a it's a familiar but different challenge. And um, the people that we're able to support, um, you know, they've got exciting races coming up through November. And then after that, you know, it's going to be a pivot straight to the midterms. I'm I, if we win the White House um, and the and the Senate, then, you know, the next thing that we're going to have to worry about is in 2022 redistricting and keeping the House. So I am I'm going to kind of turn my attention there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, again, so inspiring. 
the book is called She Will Rise, Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality. It's available now wherever you get your books. Katie Hill, again, it's been an honor. You're an inspiration. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Everybody stay with us. We'll be right back with the Good News Block. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and it seems like so many everyday tasks are just getting more stressful and challenging these days, but seeing a doctor should not be stressful. That is why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments, and scheduling an appointment, even for the same day, is really easy. I can just pick a slot that works for me, click it, boom, I'm booked online. And I don't have to waste time on hold with on the phone or sitting in crowded waiting rooms, which is really dangerous right now anyway. And with my Plush Care membership, I can see my doctor from my own home, in my jammies. I can wear my onesies if I want. Try doing that with your HMO. I've actually tried that, but it's just so much better from home. And with Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and have prescriptions sent to my local pharmacy if needed, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after my visit, I can send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. Plus, Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or stressed about what's going on in the world, Plush Care doctors are there to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. And I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been amazing. Signing up was a breeze. It only took a minute, and it's just as easy to schedule an appointment. The entire process has been so convenient, and I was immediately comfortable and felt confident with my doctor because all plush care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the country, and they're all highly rated by their patients. And that gives me peace of mind because then I know I'm getting the highest quality care. Plush care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it, and you can too. Start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans to start your free 30-day trial. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans for a free 30-day trial. Plushcare.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news block is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm good. It seems to have cooled down a little today. Like it's not been as bad as it was yesterday. It was like super humid, but everything's good. Busy day. Um, Packed show we've had. So uh, I'm doing good. Good to hear it. Yeah, I went to Dog Beach today with Coco to cool off and it it was like absolutely wonderful. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which one? OB? OB, yeah. Ah, That's a good one. Ocean Beach for those not in town. Yes, it is the most Jordan vibe place in this city. That is for sure. <laughs> yes, imagine if Jordan were a beach. That's <laughs> that's what Ocean Beach is. Um, so we're gonna go through our listener submitted good news. If you have some good news to submit, you can go to dailybeanspod dot com and submit it there. You can also sign up to be a patron, and you can submit your quarantine confessions. We'll we'll have that coming out Saturday, and we release it Friday and ad free for patrons. Uh, and so uh, I think you can also submit corrections there. Yeah, you can. So that's kind of the hub for everything you need to get a hold of us with. And uh, I want to thank everyone for sending in their good news stories. We love this. And um, it's the best part of the day. So although today's news was pretty fucking good, I got to say, <laughs> for, for a long, for like first time in a long time, it was like Republicans getting indicted left and right. And it was fantastic. Yeah, it was the fucking best <laughs> it really was. And tonight, Joe Biden's going to accept the nomination. It's going to be great. So uh, first up, um, 
We'll start with the good news submission from Anna, whose pronouns are she, her. She says, good news. I put my very first political sign in my yard ever. I've been extremely hesitant because I'm surrounded by very aggressive Trumpers to the point that I'm having to actively fight against the formation of vigilante hate groups trying to form. Oh, my God. Uh, I've heard stories. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's horrifying. She um, she says, I've heard stories of people's homes being damaged and their cars being keyed for having Obama or Hillary signs. But I bit the bullet and put up my Biden sign. Within eight hours, I had the nicest man knock on my door and ask me to order him some for his yard. Maybe there are more of us than we know, but we have all been quiet out of fear. Maybe this will be the start of something bigger in my tiny town of less than 3,000 people. Or maybe there's just two of us. Either way, <laughs> I'm beyond excited. <laughs> yeah. How many are you going to order? Is that going to be a wishful thinking order? Or is this literally one? That's so sweet, though. Yeah. Oh, that's like that's like a way better version of brownies for neighbors to come over mm-hmm. and solicit yard signs. That's wonderful. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, seriously. Oh, fantastic. This is Amy Carrera with a bit of good news, a special request from M. Her pronouns are she, her. Today, I celebrate one month on antidepressants that work for me. Yay! After a very long uphill battle with my own prejudice against mental health conditions and an even longer time of trial and error with different dosages, I can finally say I have found the one. I've been feeling like myself for the first time in years, and it just feels like I'm able to fly now that the weight's been lifted. That's so exciting. I added that. The Daily Beans and Muller, she wrote, have been such huge sources of comfort during depressive and manic episodes, not only for knowing that I was getting carefully researched news, but also your voices soothed me like a few other things. The only other, like few other things, that's what she meant. The only other being Shira and the Princesses of Power. Again, hi, Amy. Culminating in an extra shot of serotonin I needed every Friday. You ladies literally keep me sane and now my meds do too. Keep up the good work. That is so fucking awesome i'm so so glad and i i just couldn't be happier that you have found something that makes you feel like yourself i'm so glad amy was able to read that that was perfect thank you amy love you a next up from sally pronouns she her i grew up in a small mostly all white town in vermont sounds like all towns in vermont uh i then ended up living in a small mostly all white town in colorado i had always thought that i was in no way racist but the BLM movement showed me that I had no understanding of what it was like to grow up black in our country. I've really started to think through how white privilege has impacted our black communities. I wanted to make a difference and touch at least one life in a positive way. My husband and I own a small climbing store, so I contacted a local climbing gym and told them we wanted to sponsor two kids of color with equipment and private climbing classes. I also contacted a resource liaison in the school district to connect with kids in need. She works with over 1,500 homeless kids. What? In exclamation and question marks she puts. That's a really high number. Um, that's and just yeah, that's so hard. Oh god, it's so horrible. Uh, she works with over fifteen hundred homeless kids who was thrilled with the idea. We finally got the program going, and two kids have now had two lessons. We met them yesterday. They are refugees from Afghanistan. Our hope is that we continue with this program and expand it to include kids in need on an ongoing basis. I absolutely love your show, and I may be a bit emotionally codependent on getting the good, bad, and definitely ugly every day, but love the humor. I listened to Coffee Crush Adam's rant until I couldn't stand up anymore. <laughs> Smiley face. 
With pods like this bringing us together and keeping us up with the real dirt, there's no way we will lose in November. They have to get past too many of us, and we outnumber them. Thank you so much, you lovely ladies. The force is strong. Nice. Yes, so nice. Awesome. Thank you, Sally. What a great program. That's that's so... Yeah, that's amazing, and yeah, def- definitely. Yeah, it's 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 hard for it's hard. You know, it's it's hard to sometimes have to come to terms with the fact that we, as white people, have been part of this, of the, you know, the systemic fucking problems and racism in this country. You know, in the country, and so you know, stepping up, recognizing it, I think is so important, and then taking action is that final step. And you did that, and that's so great. Yeah, and that's those kinds of, you know, like luxuries, like physical activity that is fun and teaches you good lessons and gives you friends and community. Like none of that should be a privilege, but it is, unfortunately. So you doing that, uh, I know, makes a really big difference in their lives. And that's really rad. Yes, agreed. Um, Next up from anonymous pronoun she, her. The other day, my uncle called me. He's in his upper 80s and he's reviewing his estate planning. A few weeks ago, in a conversation, I happened to mention my oldest granddaughter became an adult recently. Uh, He said that that got him to thinking that my grandchildren are the only close relatives currently in college or would be going in the next few years. And he offered to set up an educational trust fund um, to fund the college education for my grandkids. Wow, what an amazingly generous offer. That is very good news. Oh, I love that. Just don't pull a Scott's tuts. (laughs) Dear, you don't watch The Office. That means nothing to you. Damn. All right. <laughs> I'm uh, all, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, no, no it's uh, it's this episode where uh, Michael Scott, he like desperately wants to do something for a group of kids and they're like predominantly a group of like black students and he it's like a whole character arc for for michael but he promises he promises years and years and years ago that if they graduate high school he'll send them all to college and then the day comes and they all like throw this big celebration for him and stuff you know like they're they're like they like do a parade and they're saying thank you and stuff and they have like songs written about it and then he's just like oh i can't I can pay for one of your books. It's just like the most cringy, like worst, worst thing ever. Oh, no. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I know he won't pull Scott's tots, but that's just a, a hilarious episode. Um, all right. <laughs> when when a savior complex goes wrong, basically, was the moral of, of that. Uh, anyways. Isn't that pretty much the entire arc of The Office, really? <laughs> yes. Yes. He's just a complete <laughs> idiot. He's a complete, complete fool. Um, all right. But yeah, that's that's amazing. They're going to appreciate that so much. And that is so lovely. Uh, next up from Avery, pronouns they, them. My partner and I have been together for four years come this November, and I've known she was the one since we started dating. When we first got together, we both were in, we, we both were healing from severely emotionally abusive relationships. This has by far been the healthiest, most nurturing companionship I've ever been a part of, and to this day, I look at her with total heart eyes. So, I'm going to submit to the patriarchy and ask her to be my wife. My initial plan was to <laughs> pop the question on her birthday this past July, however... A compound situation of her being fired from her job and potential exposure to COVID at my job, my plans were thwarted. I now have my eyes on December. She'll be graduating with her bachelor's degree in English. Her ex uh, convinced her to drop out of school 
um, years before we got together. I am so proud of her for going back to school and working her ass off to finish this program. We plan on moving to California in the next few years so I can go to law school and she can pursue her passion of script writing. Yes! Being queer in Wisconsin is not as fun as it sounds, and it shouldn't sound that fun at all, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't <laughs> sound that fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so having something to look forward to makes it easier to get through the days. When my girlfriend does listen to the pod with me, we always talk about our mutual crush on Jordan's voice slash laugh. Thank you. Um, AG, the work that you've done has inspired me to go back to school as well. I graduated with my bachelor's in criminal justice in 2014, and I'm currently halfway through an associate program for paralegal studies. You all rock so hard. Thanks for everything y'all do. I hope you know how much it means to everyone. Avery, yay. Thank you for everything in that. I thought for a second Avery was going to propose on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, uh-oh, what do I do? What do I say? Should I, oh. Oh, my God. Uh, I, and then, no, 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 no. That's... Okay. But, hey, if you want to propose on the podcast, send it into the good news block, and we will happily Ooh. make that happen for you. Ah, that's so funny. Dude, one time when I was working at the comedy store, a couple wanted to, like, I guess their first date was at the comedy store, so he proposed to her there, and... uh I had to follow it. It was like the hardest, weirdest shit to follow ever. I was like, all right, well, congrats to the new couple, I guess. Here's my fucking shitty jokes. Everyone listen to me. (laughs) You'd be like, crowd work. So how long you been engaged? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Congratulations to your future plans and all the other rad stuff you just said. Yeah, and welcome to California when you get here. And thank you for going to paralegal. I'm glad I could help, you know, inspire you to go back to school. That's so amazing. And I am so humbled and honored that I had anything to do with that. Thank you so much. Next up from Stephanie. Pronouns she, her. Hi, all. I'm an American living in Canada. My mom and I have been listening since the Mueller She Wrote days. My good news is that Democrats abroad has started ramping up their awareness campaigns to get ready for the election. Contrary to what the Orange Cheeto says, Americans living abroad have been using mail voting without problems for years. There are over 500,000 Americans eligible to vote in Canada alone and around 3 million worldwide, but less than 7% of them actually vote. We can make a big difference if we get the word out, so we've been using social media to let Americans know they can vote even if they're living abroad. A lot of people don't know they can. There's a lot of interest in the American election here in Canada, so we're hoping to have a bigger turnout this year. Even the Toronto Raptors have used their platform to encourage Americans in Canada to vote. Oh my God, that's awesome. I'm hoping to do a virtual awareness campaign for other Americans at my university this fall to get them to register to vote. It's easier than a lot of people think to vote from abroad. And Democrats Abroad has a website, votefromabroad.org. That, and that guides uh, overseas voters through the process, step by step. Uh, hopefully, voters abroad can make a difference in 2020. Thank you for helping keep me sane these past few years. I hope you have a wonderful vacation. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. That's great to know. Canada, hell yeah. Thank you for that solidarity, all of Canada. <laughs> all of canada yes yes um although i know it's not all of canada unfortunately we hear mandy talk about how they still have some all right pockets there uh but anyways good news yeah. block that's so 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 uh fantastic yeah i i wouldn't have even thought of something like that but it comes down to such a tight margin uh sometimes as it did 
before. We've been there, done that, unfortunately, already. Yeah. So half a million, half a million Americans eligible to vote in Canada. That's a lot. And three million every three million globally. And um, yes, we will enjoy our vacation. Uh, we are going on vacation next week. You will be getting content. You might get a few surprises from us um, here and there. Don't know. But, you know, tune in and you'll see. And uh, I guess that's it for this week. And do you have any uh, final thoughts before we head out of here and go watch the convention t- tonight? Uh, I have some good news for myself. I got pre-qualified for a home loan. Which is very exciting. Yes. I did it all in my fucking onesies. I never thought I would ever, ever be able to like get there. I don't, I, it's, it's so, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, I do not have a super strong family history of financial planning or like, you know, wealth passed down at all in any way. Um, just a bunch of really smart people kind of like living their lives in like manic ways and (laughs) it's been really nice (laughs) to have the example that my mom has been setting for like financial literacy for me and and just uh we're we're gonna go in on a house together and we're looking at a place in like arrowhead in california where it's it's like very it's very very exciting well congratulations that is awesome um yeah it, it they make it seem more daunting than it is so excellent well done and uh you deserve it so everybody have a great week and have a great week and uh i have a feeling we'll be around though so we'll talk to you next time until then everyone take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and them's the beans the daily beans is executive produced and directed by ag and jordan coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie mazell and starburns industries our marketing manager executive assistant production and social media direction is amanda reader Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.